I'm Dina. And I'm Charlotte. Welcome to the Grim Curriculum Extra Credit. Hello. Hello, hello. I do want to start off by saying if my voice is croaky or breaks halfway through this episode, I'm not going through second puberty. I was just screaming to bring me to life by Evanescence like Toad from Mario in the kitchen and that was stupid. So just keep that in mind if my voice gets all scratchy. Charlotte was telling me the story off mic and she's starting off with like screaming to Evanescence and I'm like yeah we've all been there and she said the words like toad and I lost my shit. (laughs) It's one of my um, hidden talents not so hidden talents I guess that I can sing like toad but holy cow it's it's a little hard on the vocal codes I will will say. You should not be hiding that talent from the people that's money making right there. (laughs) Hey, I will actually say, I'm going to tie this back to Extra Life, not Extra Credit, Extra Life, where we raise money. Technically, we are still fundraising, so if you haven't donated, you definitely can. Link will be down below. But if I meet my goal of, I guess it's a stretched goal, of $500 raised for me personally, I will sing a song as Toad live on Twitch. So just keep that in mind if you want to hear it. I'm not going to do it today because I will blow out my mic. (laughs) (laughs) but it is there just so you know you heard her folks make it fucking happen we need this (laughs) in i guess sort of a throwback we've been talking a lot about the volcanoes all over the earth recently and i do have just a quick quick update the people of grindavik in iceland are still currently evacuated from their town because they're truly not sure when anything could happen but if you've seen the pictures and you've seen the videos Basically, the town is cracking apart. There's certain roads where you can literally see the like steam coming out of the cracks. So we're still waiting on some updates for that. It's kind of a hurry up and wait kind of situation. But so far, the the city, the town of Grindavik is still evacuated. I did see a really interesting video from a volcano expert that was saying that actually a lot of the ones I was talking about, especially the one in Naples, Italy, is actually not quite as imminent as a lot of people have been led to believe. Apparently, the one in Italy right now is fairly chill, but Mount Etna on Sicily still did erupt. The one in Russia is erupting, and there's a few other rumblings. But as of right now, not really too much volcano updates happening. And that is exactly what we want. Yeah, I would quite happily not have poor Grindavik just disappear under the earth when it cracks open and all those people lose their homes. That would be absolutely fucking awful, and I really hope that that's not going to be the case. I have been looking forward to these volcano updates every other week, though, because I'm invested. If you do follow me on TikTok, I think I have all of seven followers on there, which is totally fine. But I have been reposting certain updates from the experts. Uh, So if you are looking for more volcano news, you can certainly follow me on TikTok if you'd like to. I am reposting them. But yeah, I guess it's we're just waiting and seeing. But that being said, we've got a few different stories to bring to you today. Uh, Did you want to start with one first then, Dina? I have a personal story. Oh, yes, yes. Let's hear it. 
All right, so I've talked about this a few times on the show, but just a quick little update first. Uh, since about March of this year, my sweet bird, Mango, has been dealing with some very serious health issues. It was originally a mystery illness. The vet didn't know what it was. It's been an absolute nightmare to deal with. He almost lost his wing over it. He almost lost his life over it, but... Uh, he is doing better. He is doing very well. He is actually moving the wing a fair bit. I've, I'd say he's got about like 75% movement back. He was supposed to have absolutely none. Oh my so God, that's amazing. He's doing great. It's a, it's so wonderful to see, but that's not my story. Um, Because of all of this, Mango has to wear a cone. Right. And for a bird to wear a cone, basically it's a piece of pool noodle with like veterinary wrap around it that's fitted to his neck and it's it's quite heavy. I was gonna say it would have to be fairly improvised because when you picture a cone you picture the big like clear plastic dog cone and I'm like I didn't know they made them that small. It's very difficult and uh, I'll say right now the vet has been amazing the clinic has been amazing but it has been a nightmare for them to size it properly so that it's just been a whole ordeal but uh with the cone came a whole other problem he started having night terrors oh poor little chicken and what that meant was that every night every 15 to 20 minutes he would fall asleep and then scare himself awake and start screaming for about five, ten minutes. So fair to say nobody in your household has gotten any sleep recently. <laughs> it was a mess. Horrible. Absolutely awful. This went on. Um, we looked at like adjusting the medication, just anything to get this to stop. And I finally had an idea. I started putting on the podcast for him. Oh my God, no went way. to bed. So I started putting on extra credit because I didn't want him to go to bed to anything violent. <laughs> it worked the first night. I wonder because he's <laughs> hearing your voice and it's comforting. Exactly. Aw, little buddy. It seriously worked immediately. He has not had night terrors since. He goes to bed with the podcast on. He kind of just like chats with it a little bit and if we're laughing he'll kind of like laugh along but he falls asleep to it and then sleeps for the entire night oh my god I think I'm gonna cry that's so fucking wholesome I love <laughs> I it know. and that's been going on for the last little bit and it is just the greatest thing because now he's sleeping he's having great sleep so now he's healing better because he is sleeping better but he absolutely loves the show we have the seal of approval from mango chicken and i'd say that's a pretty big deal i'm flattered and honored and who knew that we would have a non-human fan oh my god right? <laughs> amazing well i mean i know back in the day when my grandparents used to go to work my grandma would always leave the radio on for them and so i wonder if there's anybody else out there that leaves podcasts on for their critters while they're at work and stuff like that if you do i would love to hear about it it's kind of nice because it's like conversational so it mimics the feeling of having people in the house there just like talking so yes. it's a little bit more authentic than music I feel like 
Yes, absolutely. And then the fact, of course, that it's your voice as well will bring a lot of comfort to him because it's something that's very familiar. And like you say, it gives him the feeling that he's not alone. Yeah, it, honestly, I have been wanting to share that with you for a couple weeks now. Um, it makes me really happy for a multitude of reasons. One being that he is sleeping and feeling better. But two, the fact that it was just like I tried it and it was instant. <laughs> Oh my god, amazing. I love it. And I'm so glad to hear that he's doing better because I know it was pretty touch and go there for a little bit. It was for quite a few months. It was pretty scary, but uh, he is doing fantastic. He had like a really long and like crazy bath today. So a bunch of like the stuff on his wing kind of came off and it's looking good. He's starting to get feathers back there. So he might even have like a normal looking wing after this. Yay. You're absolutely right, though. If you're not sleeping properly, oh my god, that does such a number on your mental health, your physical health. It's so important to get a good night's sleep, I guess, for everybody, including birds. Yeah, exactly. So off topic, obviously not very grim at all. I figured I'd toss a little bit of wholesomeness into this because we're going to need it with all the terrible stuff that we're covering. So there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. We're so happy to hear that Mango is doing better. Yay. Makes me so happy. I will follow it up, though, with it's still somewhat animal related, kind of uh, creepy animal related. And I'm in two minds about this entire thing. So my story that I'm going to start with today is about necrobotics. I like it. Let's hear it. Yeah. So necrobotics, as you might have guessed, comes from the words necro, meaning dead, and biotics or robotics. It kind of all ties in there. Back in 2022, an article came out that scientists were using dead spiders as claw machines. What? Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought, too, when I first saw it. Because I was like, this sounds like something from a really cheesy, like, 80s horror movie, like Return of the Necrobots or whatever. You know how spiders curl up with all their little legs when they die? Yeah. And they were kind of like, why do they do that? They always do that. When a spider dies, it's like on its back with all its little legs curled up in the air. And it turns out that spiders are not obviously like humans. Our muscles work on sort of what they call an antagonistic principle where there's two muscles working with and against each other. So think of like your bicep and your tricep, right? When you flex, one flexes, one stretches and vice versa. But spiders don't work this way. They actually have kind of more of a hydraulic system. And so their little leggies, all eight of them, their natural state is to be in this kind of closed, curled up kind of position. Mm -hmm. And when they want to walk or flex, they use hydraulics to put the pressure to move their legs out. So when they die, that pressure is no longer there. And then that's why their legs curl up. So the scientists came up with the idea of, well, Could we sort of reactivate them with hydraulics, which they were able to do? And so they've attached them to these little uh, machines, which sort of use hydraulic pressure to flex their muscles, so to speak. And they've been able to use them literally as just that claw machines to grab little things and to move them. I'm so upset right now. 
it's very interesting from a scientific point of view. And they say, like, having learned this about spiders, it's sort of opened up a whole new world of, you know, what can we kind of do with this information? But there's literally images out there of them using a quote unquote spider gripper to lift a little switch and to break a circuit on an electronic board, thereby like turning on and off an LED light. What? I hear you thinking, why bother? Why can't we just use a normal like metal or plastic or polymer robot or whatever? But they're saying that this area of research could be used to create biodegradable grippers for very small objects, including in the medical industry. Oh, Nowadays, because we have, you know, a lot of surgeries are done remotely even, right, where the the doctor may not even be on the same continent as you. And so to use these sort of little biodegradable claws could be a new step towards advancements in surgeries and things like that. Or the way I kind of thought about it is, well, if you needed to use it for something sketchy, but you didn't want anyone to know that anything had happened, it would be great if your little claw machine just disappeared after. (laughs) That is true. Oh, my goodness. So that could be very sinister. Yes, exactly. Now, my thoughts are here, again, very interesting. You know, they're they're figuring out these internal valves in the spider's legs, and they're, they're doing a lot of research and learning a lot about spiders. And the spiders that they're using specifically are wolf spiders, which oh. are, they're pretty big boys for the most yeah. part. They're, they're kind of what you think of like a classic spider. But then it kind of made me wonder, if you can do it with spiders... What else can you do it with? And that's what sort of sent my brain down a morbid rabbit hole. (laughs) If you figured out how to use these sort of hydraulic systems within a spider, what's to stop you from applying similar principles to either other animals or other insects or things like crabs and things like that? But could they also do it to dead humans? Right. This seems like step one of a really like scary process. Yeah, I mean, humans in the grand scheme of things may not be that useful. The spiders are actually useful in the sense that their limbs are strong enough to pick up something like 130% of their own body weight, even as a dead spider, just utilizing them as a claw. So they're still very strong little grippers, so to speak. And they've found that... Over time, because it is a dead spider, that they lose some of that versatility over time because their bodies begin to deteriorate. So they experimented with a beeswax coating and they found that that slowed the loss of the spider's mass, keeping them stronger for longer. Wow, that is fascinating. They also do say that it could be used to interact with more insects or other spiders because they wouldn't necessarily see it as a foreign object. They would see it as another spider kind of thing. So that could be useful too. I'm interested to see where this goes. It does seem to have slightly sinister connotations, but I wonder if that's kind of the bias of most people being scared of or not liking spiders i mean it's true it's true i i wonder though if we're trying to infiltrate the spiders what is the purpose there they're trying it with smaller spider species and whip scorpions which i believe are not actually a scorpion they're just another form of spider that kind of looks more like a scorpion but they are saying that it's providing them with a lot of useful information and research 
one of the scientists says, you know, despite the fact that it looks like they're bringing them back to life, they're very certain that the spider is still completely dead, completely inanimate. But again, it is providing them with a lot of useful research. So just food for thought. <laughs> that I never would have guessed that would be a thing. I love it. I guess it just goes to show that inspiration can hit at any time, even from something simple like seeing a dead spider. So <laughs> there yeah. is that. So for our next story, this one I found a little bit interesting, but we've talked about this before on the show. One of my favorite vampire movies of all time is 30 Days of Night. I absolutely love it. It's classic. I It's, it's a good one. And I love vampire movies, so... Right, me too. I love a good vampire movie. The movie takes place in Barrow, Alaska. Barrow, Alaska changed its name back to Utkiegvik about a decade ago. But uh, a little bit about them. As of Saturday of last week, they have started to experience what is known as their 30 days of night, which I find fascinating that they go through that. It's super interesting. I follow a lady on TikTok. Her name's Cecilia, and she lives on a little island really close to the North Pole called Svalbard. And I believe it's not actually its own country. I think it's owned by Norway. And she's also been speaking about a very similar thing, how the sun has set for the last time until the spring. And she really enjoys living there. She she really likes the darkness, and she says it's just all part of the adventure of it. But even now for us, our days are getting much, much shorter. We've already, of course, gone through like daylight savings, but I drive to work in the dark. I come home in the dark. It's dark by about 530 here now. And even that's bad enough for me. It's pretty tough. And locals of the town, they admit that too. Like they say that the darkness has a very, very negative effect on people who live in that region. They are now using a lot of like vitamin D and light therapy and stuff like that to help people because they've realized like that this can have some pretty serious effects on people's mental health. 100%. There's a reason why people across the globe that live this far north, I mean, if you look at Canada, Russia, you know, the Scandinavian countries, we're kind of known for our alcoholism. <laughs> and I honestly think it's due to the shitty, long, dark winters. Absolutely. And in places like this, not all of them is, is it illegal all the time, but at least they make it illegal during these periods of darkness because they've realized like, hey, giving people alcohol around this time, probably not the best idea. No, and I can imagine it really does something to your internal clock, right? Where you're sat outside at noon and it is pitch black as though it were midnight. It, it must do something to your brain. You'd have a really hard time doing just like day-to-day -day stuff, I feel like. On the flip side of that, though, too, I don't know that I would do well on the summer months where the sun never sets, right? Where it's two o'clock in the morning and it feels like it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Like that would really fuck with a person, too. That seems worse to me. I would rather have night than daytime. Yeah, because I'm a big fan of sleep and yep. the light <laughs> keeping me awake would be a problem. <laughs> I would not like that at all. But the one really great thing about all of this is can you imagine how gorgeous the sky would look? And especially being that far north and getting to see the northern lights. If you've never seen the northern lights, you've never had the opportunity to experience the aurora borealis. 
my God, it is stunning. It is something just so ethereal. It's the coolest thing ever. And getting to see that nonstop for 30 days, I think that would be okay with me. That would make it almost worth it to me. Like, at least it's not something that happens on a very, very regular basis. Yeah, and I suppose, like, being in that, if you, if you lived there, you would know what you needed to do to prepare for it. Like you say, you get your vitamin D in, you get your UV light therapy, and, you know, do what you need to do to stay positive and keep away that spicy seasonal sadness. Right? You got anything it takes, really. But going back to the 30 days of night thing, and also it kind of... It kind of makes me think of Twilight. You know how they live in like Forks, Washington, because it's the place where it has like the least amount of sunny days or whatever. Yep. It makes sense for a vampire to live up in Alaska, really. <laughs> I mean, that is the place to be. That's what I liked about the 30 Days a Night movie. I mean, is it cheesy? Absolutely. But it is a solid idea and it would make sense. That's what I would do if I was a vampire. I suppose the flip side of it, if you were a vampire, you'd really have to unwrap your meals because people would be so damn bundled up in their parkas and scarves and toques and mitts and everything that you'd be like, man, I don't even know if this is worth it anymore. (laughs) It'd be hard to get people, actually. I never thought of that. Yeah, little people burritos. And then also, (laughs) they'd all be in their homes all the time, too. And if we're playing by the rules where vampires have to be invited in, that certainly brings up another challenge as well. (laughs) Hey, that's true. In the 30 Days a Night universe, though, they did not have to be invited in. That's very, very true. So I don't know, man. I guess you would just have to walk around with your garlic and your crosses and your holy water. (laughs) Hope for the best. (laughs) Or just stay so bundled up that the vampires just would not waste their time with you. (laughs) Oh, man. Since we've just been to Alaska, we're going to do a complete wraparound of the Earth. And we're going to head to Japan for my next story. Now, this is super cool. You have tattoos, Dina. I have Mm -hmm. tattoos. I'm a big fan of tattoos. In fact, if money weren't an object, I'd probably covered from my chin to my toenails in tattoos. But (laughs) I wanted to talk about this guy. He's known, actually, he and his son are known as Dr. Tattoo. He's a Japanese doctor from the early 1900s. He was born in January of 1878. He passed away in June of 1956. Fukushi Masayachi. He was a Japanese doctor pathologist, and he was very well known for his studies into syphilis. Syphilis comes up all the time on this podcast. It really does. He was doing a lot of research into syphilis and also the sort of comorbidities that come from having syphilis. And he realized that having met people that suffered from it, The ones that had tattoos, he noticed that where their skin was tattooed, it had actually destroyed the syphilis scarring from the lesions that develop. Yeah. And so he became super obsessed with tattoos and went down this rabbit hole, which, like I said, I love tattoos. To me, they are an art form. They're a way of expressing yourself. I adore them. And this guy did too. And he went down this rabbit hole where he became obsessed, more so because of the place in history that this is all occurring. Like I said, the early 1900s and in Japan, where if you don't know, tattoos are generally quite frowned upon just because of their attachment to the yakuza or the japanese mafia that makes sense that actually makes a lot of sense yeah 
Yeah, I mean, even today, you know, 2023, it's pretty frowned upon still. Some of the younger generations are sort of bringing in that more Western ideology around tattoos. But in a lot of like onsens and hot springs and stuff, you can't go to the public ones if you have visible tattoos. But going back, he basically became so obsessed that he started like a little club and everything where people would come and just sit around and chat and show off their tattoos. And he was especially interested in bodysuits. And a lot of the higher ranking Yakuza members are known for their bodysuits and these huge, beautiful, intricate tattoos that have a lot of meaning and history behind them, right? Yeah, I love that. This is where it sort of takes that grim turn, but in a good way. So he approached these people with tattoos and was like, hey, I would love to preserve them. I would like to pay you for your skin after you die. Really? <laughs> a lot of people were like, yeah, sure, fuck it. I'm dead. What do I care? And so he got loads and loads of people to basically leave their, as he says, their pelts to him when oh. they died. Over the years, he had an archive of about 2,000 of these quote unquote hides. Oh my god. Okay, so hold on. Was this legal at the time? Now, I don't know if it was legal per se. This is going back to 1907. This is when his uh, research into human skin sort of began with his syphilis research. And then sort of by 1926, this is when he was at the peak of his obsession. And he led autopsies on the corpses and removed the skin. And he did research on the best methods in which to preserve the skin. So I'm not sure that it was legal. However, it was probably so early in the sort of tattooing world that there likely wasn't a law against it. Yeah, no one had thought this was going to be an issue up until now. So he used two methods to preserve these uh, skins, if you will. Uh, there was a dry method, which, as you can imagine, where the skin is removed after death and it's just laid out to sort of dry out, kind of how you would imagine just tanning leather or anything else. The second process was what he called a wet process, where the skin would be preserved in glycerin. And this would keep it kind of more moisturized, if you will. I know that's super dark and morbid. But this was all completely consensual. Like I said, he paid a lot of the people that donated their hides to him. In fact, he even went as far as to pay people to get tattoos as long as they promised to give them back to him at the time of their passing. That's a good deal. Honestly, dude, if I could find someone that would be like, yeah, I'll pay for all your tattoos. You just have to give me your skin when you die. I'd be like, hell yeah, bro. Sign me up. I'm, I'm not going to need it when I'm dead. No. A lot of the skins that he did collect over the years, a lot of them were actually lost in 1945 during World War II during the bombings. But he had gone on a tour of the States after and he had brought a suitcase of his hides with him. This suitcase was stolen and has never been found. Oh, can you imagine you think it's money and instead it's human pelts? No one knows what happened to it. So we don't know if someone stole it knowing what was in there and just stole it because they're weird. Or if, like you say, they were expecting something very different. 
opened it, revealed the insides, was like, oh my God, and then just threw them out. Like, we're really not sure what happened there. But his son also went on to become a doctor and sort of carried on his work. And yeah, they're they're known for preserving these beautiful tattoos. That is fascinating. I love that. I mean, human skin, unfortunately, has been used in a lot of unethical ways. There's actually quite a few books out there that are bound by human skin. But for the most part, either the owner of the said skin can't be confirmed as giving it up consensually, which of course is very problematic. Also, it's a book made of human skin, which is kind of a creepy thing to want to have in a collection, I feel like. But in the case of Dr. Masaichi, it was very consensual. Like I said, he often paid the people for their donation, if you will. And yeah, I just thought that was really, really cool. There's still a lot of photographs. There's something like 3,000 photographs that were lost, uh, but there are still a few left. Now only 105 of these full skin bodysuits remain, and they are on display at the Medical Pathology Museum of Tokyo University, but they are not open to the public. You need very special permission to go see them. That would be a fascinating thing to get to see in person. Oh, my God. Would you want to preserve your tattoos after your death? Because for me, like, I'm dead. I don't really give a shit. Why the hell not? If someone was going to pay me money for it, absolutely. And that's the thing. Like, this is the absolute best case scenario on how to do this. Because we've had a lot of people throughout history do this in a very unethical way. Yes, um, there's a few serial killers that come to mind when it comes to this sort of stuff. Right, a Nazi here or there as well. 100%, 100%. Um, but yeah, in this particular case, people were like, yeah, if you want to pay me for it, go for it. And I'm of the belief too, where at the event of my passing, be it natural or untimely, use my body for science. If it's anything worth uh, giving, if my stuff is healthy, and it saves somebody else's life or improves the quality of life for someone else, I am all for it. If my body helps further science in the medical field, I am all for that as well. Like I said, I'm dead. What the fuck do I care? Yeah, actually, it makes me think because those of you who are listening who are not from Alberta, here in Alberta, we have like an Alberta healthcare number. And on the back of the card is a little thing that asks if you want your uh, organs to be donated upon the event of your death. And so you can sign that off. And then there's another one underneath that says basically like, you can also take my eyes and my skin and like whatever you need. And I have both of those signed off. So they're already going to get my skin. If I was getting paid for it, I'd be thrilled. I keep going back to the money. It's not about the money. I just feel like if it was going to be to appreciate and like preserve my tattoos, I don't know who would want it, but why the hell not? And that's the thing with this particular doctor is he was so fascinated by it, so respectful of it. And like I said, he literally started a club where people would come and... Because, like I said, his particular fascination was with these full body suits. Uh, there's images out there of sort of all these naked Yakuza members sitting around showing off their tattoos and just chatting about it. And I just thought that was so cool that they could sit around and admire it, especially in a time when, one, tattoos were not very well sort of, I feel like, globally respected. You know, mm -hmm. I feel like especially from a Western perspective, the people that had tattoos in at that point in time were sailors, 
and maybe criminals. Like that's kind of the association behind it. And so for someone to be so fascinated by it at that point in history, I think is really cool. I think so, too, because, I mean, you're right. At that point, it wasn't even something that most people really got to see in a lot of cases, let alone have. So I love it. I am all for this. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm just curious for those of you listening, if you have tattoos, would you want them preserved after your death? I feel like, or at least I hope, the majority of our listeners are the kind of people that would say yes to that question. I know there's definitely religious reasons uh, why you might not want to donate your body parts, and that's completely acceptable. But for me, like I said, if I could find some appreciation after my death, either through my tattoos or through donating my organs to someone that needed them or it improved their quality of life, I'm all for it. And also, I would just be very proud to have my tattoos on display because I I don't have that many at the moment. Like I said, financial reasons, I would be covered from head to toe. But I would like people to appreciate them as I have had the chance to appreciate them throughout my life. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I was looking at stories for this week's episode and I was having trouble finding something that really made me laugh because I like to have a story at least once every extra credit episode that is just stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah, something a little more lighthearted that's not completely down in the dumps. So I googled Florida man news to see what would come up. I mean, it's never going to fail you, is it? (laughs) It really didn't because this is the first article that came up. Are you ready for this? I don't know that I am, but I am ready to hear it. Florida man arrested for pooping on dead possum during rush hour traffic. Good lord. No matter where you are in that sentence, it doesn't make sense. You can't guess what's coming next. (laughs) You really can't. And so I click on it and I'm like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. So Rudy Wilcox, 45 years old, was picked up by Clearwater Police on Wednesday after he was seen pulling down his pants in the middle of rush hour traffic and then taking what they call, I'm sorry, I'm going to use their words, laying a log on the doubly unfortunate possum in full view of the motoring public. Okay, so I have questions. (laughs) Go ahead. Was the possum, like, roadkill kind of already in the road when this all occurred? It was, yeah. It was there, and he just took a shit on it. I mean, I guess he had to go. I will say I must clarify a few things. He was not in a vehicle. Rudy, sadly, does not have a home. So he was uh, living out on the streets, having a rough time, um, saw this rush hour traffic. And not only did he take a shit on the possum, he like fully exposed his asshole. (laughs) I mean, I would say we've all had those days, but I've never had a day where I felt like, A, I needed to take a dump in the middle of the road. And B, do it on top of a dead roadkill possum. And here's the thing about this. Rudy Wilcox, during all of this, stone cold sober. Okay, I was going to ask if any drugs or substances were causing him to make some wild uh, lapses in judgment, but clearly not. That being said, I can understand being fed up and just being like, fuck it. The world's taking a shit on me. I'm going to take a shit on the world. (laughs) (laughs) The world's taking a shit on me. I'm going to take a shit on this possum. 
Yeah, what did the possum do to you, bro? <laughs> right, this po- the, the possum is the real victim of this story. But I just, I love that I needed a story and Florida man, as always, provided me with a story. Oh, Florida's going to deliver 100% of the time. Florida's never going to fucking miss with that kind of story. I love it. It just, you know what? It made me laugh. Not a huge story, not even a significant story, but it's one hell of a story. I will say, I'm... <laughs> I don't know why my brain went here, but I'm picturing Rudy when he comes, hopefully, naturally, to the end of his life. If he makes his way to the pearly gates and St. Peter sat there behind his little podium and he's checking through to make sure everyone can come into heaven, that you've been a good person. And he's going down the list and he's like, you know what, Rudy? Looks like you had a pretty tough life here. You know, you were unhoused for a little bit. You lived in Florida. Sorry about that. Um, Can we just talk about the thing with the possum, though? Let's talk about that real quick. (laughs) (laughs) And then poor Rudy's going to have to be like, well, um, here's what I was thinking at the time. The possum standing there in like possum heaven, just shaking his head. No, yeah, hands on his hips, just disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rudy, I hope your situation turns out better because that is not a day that any human being feels like having, I feel like. No. And speaking of days that no human being ever wants to have, that brings us to this week's strange and unusual death. Here we go. Did you like that? I did. That was a good segue. (laughs) That was great. This story takes us to the 90s, which uh, greatest decade, I think. Well, I mean, we were both born in the 90s, so that must say something. Right? It was a good time for us. (laughs) So this is the story of Greg Austin Gingrich. And uh, this one's really sad. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. I'll brace myself. 38-year-old Greg was visiting the Grand Canyon with his teenage daughter. They were having a good time. You know, he was trying to make the best out of this trip, and he was trying to make his kid laugh. Okay. Oh, I feel like I already see where this is going, but go on. So what ended up happening was, you know, he starts kind of walking and he's moving around and he starts pretending like, well, I'm going to lose my balance. I'm going to fall. Oh, no. He jumps on top of a guard wall and he starts like windmilling his arms, like pretending that he's going to fall. And then he like pretends to fall so he actually goes down on the ground but uh, he thought he was gonna land safely oh no he thought however he didn't what ended up happening was he pretended to fall his daughter was fed up with this shit she just kept walking not realizing that her father was falling 400 feet down and to his death Oh, God. Guys, don't fuck around with the Grand Canyon, man. She's been around a lot longer than you have. And she is just taking, taking, taking. So what happened was he had like a little thing that he could have landed on, but he lost his footing and just fell. And his daughter did not realize for um, a little while, sadly. Oh, geez. I can't imagine the thought when she turned around and kind of didn't see him and she's like, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever, dad, like, we're done here. And then it's like, dad, hello, dad, Uh, oh, man, I hate it. I hate it. But uh, 
Rest in peace, Greg Austin Gingrich. He just wanted to be a funny dad. That's all he wanted. I guess let that be a lesson to you. It often makes me think of uh, in Jasper National Park, we have the beautiful and gorgeous, powerful Athabasca Falls. And there's literally so many signs around there that are like, don't fuck around and find out. And yet every year, at least one person fucks around and finds out. It's so true. And the crazy thing about it is they even have like a specific story of someone who fell and died and people just keep messing with it. Like, I can't imagine seeing something like that and being like, I'm going to just like dangle from that. It's that classic thing that we always talk about. It's never going to be me. It'll be the next person. Right. But to everybody else, you are the next person. So don't fuck with the Grand Canyon. Don't fuck with gravity. Yeah, she's been around a lot longer than you, and she'll be around a lot longer afterwards. Very, very true. All right, so before we wrap up here today at the end of this extra credit episode, just a quick reminder, there will not be an episode on Saturday, like usual, of the usual main show. We're taking a quick break. Um, I will be out of town for the weekend, and we have a lot coming up with the live show, so we decided to give ourselves a little bit of a break. So we're giving you this extra credit today, Wednesday, The next episode will be out the Saturday after. And here's the thing. You have so many episodes you can listen to now. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is now episode 18 of Extra Credit. We have 86 episodes of our regular show. That has to bring us up to 100 just about. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I'm super excited. We've been nearly doing this for two years and we've never missed a week. Yes, we've had some slightly delayed episodes, but we've always had them. So we figured it was about time we give ourselves a little bit of a break, but y'all still have enough content to tide you over. And the new cult series that we are working on, oh my God, honestly, like it's... It's a rough one. (laughs) Yeah, these are the kind of scripts where for me... I feel like I can write for like 15 minutes at a time and then I have to like go pet my cat for a minute or go like just not think about the terrible stuff I have to like write about for a little bit. So they take a little bit longer to put together too. I will say that is one of the things about doing this podcast and I love it. I find it so interesting, the stuff we talk about. It's our time just to be nerdy and really get into some of the more morbid and macabre and dark things that have happened on this planet. But it's one thing to have someone else tell you the story. It's an entirely different ballgame to dive into the research yourself and really get into the nitty gritty of some of this stuff, because a lot of it is pretty horrendous. Yes, we do it to ourselves, but it is pretty harrowing nonetheless. So sometimes it's nice to just take it a little bit slower and kind of give ourselves those mental health breaks as well. It really is. Honestly, you're going to see why. You're going to see exactly why we need it. But uh, listen on, pick some older episodes, show them some love again, do the thing, and uh, we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Yeah. And quick reminder, couple of weeks, well, three weeks away, live show. I know we talk about it every time, but there may be one of you out there that hasn't heard about it yet. So December 9th, Saturday, Felice Cafe here in Edmonton, we will be doing a live recording of the show, which is very freaking exciting. It's coming up super fast. Tickets are available online and they're all going to charity. 
It is a themed night because we love a theme and a good reason to dress up. So if you'd like to show up in your best 1930s, 1940s gigs, we would love to see you in your best film noir getups. It's going to be an amazing night, and it is for Charity Zoe's Animal Rescue Society. So it's for the puppies. It's for the kitties. It's going to be just a really awesome time. Hopefully the first of many. And uh, yeah, it's great. Three weeks away. I can't believe it. And hopefully we will be able to live stream it for those of you who won't be able to make it from out of town. We will definitely keep you in the loop on that one as well. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been the Grim Curriculum Extra Extra Credit. Credit.